My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Robert Maddox. He is the author of two books, Dealers in Hope and Hope to Die. We'll talk a little bit about both of those today. He's also a TEDx speaker, where I'm actually going to have the link to his TEDx talk in in the show notes, also link to uh, his website, foresightmarketingguide.com. To go further into who Robert is, he's a social entrepreneur who lives in the trenches of life. He is the executive director of a nonprofit, the uh, Point Care Center. He's a business owner, a dad of four with two adopted teens. He has traveled in 20 countries, summited an 18,000 foot volcano, and also he is a Funko Pop collector. Uh, Thanks for coming on, agreeing to talk with me today, Robert. I really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, I... uh, I was not aware of what Funko Pops were. You just enlightened me. And for all of those that, that don't know what it is, yeah. uh, I guess you could Google it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Any knowledge you need is on Google. Yeah, it's a great. It's a privilege to be here with you, David. Thanks for, you go by Dave. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I, I read a little bit about you and was like, man, I, I got to get this guy on on the show. So I really am very appreciative that you agreed to come on. Um, uh, recently, I listened to your TEDx talk where you speak of hope. And um, I, I was wondering, well, real quick before uh, we dive into all of that, um, where where were you born and raised? And, and what was it like growing up there? What were some of your early influences? Absolutely. Yeah. So born in uh, 73 in Dallas, Texas. And uh, no, I'm not a Cowboys fan. Uh, I'm an Eagles fan. So which means that I got transported up north. Um, So I have some from the south, but we moved so many times every three years, it seemed like we moved. um, uh, And that wasn't because we were in the military, even though uh, my wife, my wife's family, a lot of military. Um, But yeah, growing up, my um, we were in Texas, but the big the big change happened young. When I was six years old, my my dad died of like a heart attack, and uh, so when he when he died, my my mom wanted to be closer to family, so we moved up to Pennsylvania, and then we kept moving back to Texas because we had a house there. So it was a it was a lot of back and forth, and um, uh, but thank God for the '80s because the '80s was a great uh, a great great time period to grow up in. A lot of fun, a lot of you know good friends. Uh, down the street from me and just have great childhood memories with them. Two, two brothers um, really mark my childhood and uh, big wheels, you know, and um, action figures, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but so great childhood uh, in terms of friends, um, parenting, not, uh, not so much. My mom was in her own kind of 
I think she didn't really recover from that um, too well. You know, she's had a, a struggle finding finding herself after my dad's death, and just just kind of bounced around physically, like like you know, location wise, but also bounced around in her career, and uh, just couldn't land on what she wanted to do in life. Um, she ended up developing um, anxiety when I was in eighth grade, so this anxiety was crippling because it, it made it so that I had to go with her everywhere she, she went, uh, which was really hard for me as I'm becoming a teenager and I want to like, you know, become independent. Right. And she's just kind of clinging to me. And, um, but then her anxiety worsened and it got into deeper stuff like paranoid schizophrenia, which it, it later became. And, uh, that was, that was really hard to, to watch. Um, but I, I, I kind of just disappeared uh, at that time in her life and uh, let my grandfather take over. So my mom really wasn't there for me growing up. My dad wasn't there. Uh, so I kind of was this independent guy. And, you know, that's kind of where I learned to be a self-starter and, and go-getter myself. But um, I had loving people in my life. Um, they, they just weren't like deep into my life, you know. Um, mentors came by here and there. My youth pastor was awesome. I uh, grandfather became important later on. Um, so there were Im important people in my life that steered me in the right direction, uh, which was good. Uh, so, so kind of like the, I guess I'm the first generation that stopped messing up their life. You know, like it seemed like my family members before me, like my, it just seemed to make some bad decisions. And, uh, you know, I thank God for just putting me on the right, the right track, you know, so that's kind of my childhood experience. Are you the oldest of the three brothers? So it was my two, my uh, best friends were brothers and I was, I'm an only child. So it's just oh, okay. me. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. I've got a couple of questions. Uh, you might've said it and I just missed it, but how, how old were you when your father passed? Uh, I was six. six. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He was and a truck driver. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> he was a kind of a rowdy guy. Um, he uh, was actually, when my mom met him, he just came out of jail. So, uh, and he, he was in jail because he shot his ex-girlfriend in the arm for cheating on him. So he was a rough, they called him a rough redneck. And, uh, and um, but he, they say when, when I was born, uh, he was converted. Like he became a Christian and he became radical in that. And um, so he even got, uh, became a layman in his church and, uh, and you know, became even bold enough to stand up in the middle of a sermon and say, Hey, uh, I don't think that's what the Bible says. So, so he was a pretty radical guy. Um, too bad. I missed out on that. And, um, you know, he's a fisherman. I would have loved to learn to fish, but that, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, what, uh, what were some of the events leading up to where you are now? Uh, you're, you're involved in so many things. You've traveled the world and you're, um, I don't know. Uh, it, I, I, I either read it or it was part of your TEDx talk or I, I'm not really sure where this is coming from, but I would say that it's a very good descriptor of you, that you're a dealer of hope. Yeah, that's, that is a strange phenomenon about my life. So if you follow the the advent calendar i don't know if you ever heard of the they light candles during the advent season right at christmas time and the first candle to be lit is the hope candle and i was actually born on hope sunday 
So, but I didn't know that until just a few years ago that I connected the dots. But so I was born in Hope Sunday. My whole life has been marked by this theme of hope. And um, so that that's kind of the only thread that you could probably trace in my life because I've been all over the place, right? And no one can say, well, Rob, what's your career track? Like I just pff, tanked my career by not following a path. Uh, I just, it was always kind of blazing a new trail. And, and uh, but anyway, so becoming this, um, this student of hope has, is like a, I guess it's been really part of my life for the last 20 years as an adult where I've just started to really study hope um, and really kind of immerse myself in it. And then I got my master's degree in uh, leadership track um, that I was able to study hope for a whole semester. And um, well, I've, just for your listeners, I don't know if they know this, but so like, you know, the positive psychology movement started in about the fifties, you know, where like before that it was like, hey, let's look at everything that's wrong with us and let's diagnose it. We have a whole book to point out what is possibly wrong with you, paranoid schizophrenia, you know, ADHD, whatever it is. In the 1950s, they said, you know what, what if we actually looked at the positive stuff about humans and how do we nurture and encourage that? How do we get more of that? Uh, and so from that started to take off, look, you know, people, uh, universities in particular, like even Harvard and University of Penn, University of Kansas, University of Oklahoma, they started looking at this, this phenomenon of hope, um, which hope used to be just just like a, you know, like a church word or like a faith word, any faith, you know, would, would attach itself to it. Then it became like, you know, cancer's number one word was hope. Uh, you know, so then all of these nonprofits just link onto the word hope, but no one really knows what it is. And then universities come along and say, is this thing real hope? Is it real? Uh, can we study it? Can we, can we measure it? Can we predict it? Can we actually produce it? Uh, and they all came back with and said, yep, it's real. And it's, you know, it's kind of a no brainer, but yes, it's real. Yes. You can measure it in someone's life. Yes. Uh, you can show someone how to grow their hope. Um, so hope became like a real thing. And I started studying it and connecting dots between, uh, what Napoleon Bonaparte said, which was leaders are dealers in hope. And that, cause I had been studying leadership for a while and now I was studying hope. I connect the dots. I'm like, okay, wow. So there's something here. Leaders need to deal in hope. And up to that point, I had seen a lot of the opposite of that. Leaders not dealing in hope. <laughs> so, but anyway, that's, that's kind of the thread to answer your question. That's the thread that's gone through my life uh, in, in a lot of different ways, including my daughter's name is Hope. Um, we named her before she was born, before I knew she was a girl. I was like, you know, I just know it's going to be a girl and we're going to name her Hope. Uh, and so she's 23. And then... Um, the, one of the sons that came to live with us when he was a teenager, he's, he was uh, 17 at the time. Um, he lived with us two years. We ended up adopting him January of 2020. So he was about 19, uh, 19. he's 20 now. And um, he's from Afghanistan. Uh, and his Persian name, his given name is Omid. And the word Omid means hope. So I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, it just seems like this is, you know, just a stamp on my forehead. Hey, hope dealer, uh, dealer in hope. Um, but yeah, that answers your question, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd love it if you went a little deeper into what you just said about hope and really tie that into leadership. Uh, you know, 
I, I'm curious how how you measure it and and how you can grow it in somebody. So there have been uh, there's over two thousand studies that have been done on hope, um, and they all point to that the people with high hope have more successful and more meaningful lives. Okay, and that's like kind of a no brainer, but you, you the science has to be there. Um, so these these studies, uh, Gallup in particular is doing a 10 year study in high schools, and they're measuring hope, engagement, and well being. Engagement's a big, you know, big, uh, a big thing in leadership, but hope too, they see the value of hope. And, and so they have a whole assessment tool that they use they go into the high schools and they you know ask students these questions and you can you can take the assessment um, we maybe we can include it in your show notes i can you know show you where you can um, get a hope assessment but uh yeah so they're measuring things and and the kind of the i guess the most popular assessment measures three things uh, the three things are um, willpower so your agency you know how much kind of draw you know um um drive you have for for something your willpower that that kind of makes sense right your way power now this is a unique thing way means pathways so when you have a goal that's the third one goals goal setting so goal setting willpower way power so the way power is like being able to see the path to your goal and a lot of people can't they can't see how to get there right they can't plot the course uh, and then leaders are supposed to be able to come along and be able to, to connect the dots for people and help them navigate change, help them navigate to get to their goal. That's what coaches do, help you get unstuck, help you, you know, get to your goal. So pathways, um, and a lot of people just, they might have high goal setting. They might just like dream for the sky, you know, and, but they just, but next step, they don't know what their next step is. So, so that's where their hope starts to tank because they can't see, um, they can't see the way. Or if they get blocked on one way, they can't see alternate routes. Um, and so that's that's key to, and, and you can read Grit uh, by Angela Duckworth, and she has a chapter on hope in, in her book, but she talks about you know resiliency and about these pathways and pathfinding. Um, but so measuring those three things uh, is kind of the probably the most popular um, hope assessment. There's another guy I just got turned on to that's starting the Hope Institute. Uh, Anthony Scioli, Scioli, and his stuff is brilliant. And I can't wait to get my hands on his hope assessment because I think he's doing things that um, the others missed and uh, or didn't want to include, or I have no idea, but this he's onto something um, that that's really important. So, so yeah, that you're right. That's a great question, Dave, because uh, you know, I feel like everyone knows what hope is like you grow up like, you know what hope is, but it, yet at the same time, it's so elusive. You don't know how to define it and you don't know how to get it when you feel down or you don't know how to increase it. You know, it's so, it's like this thing that disappears when you need it the most. <laughs> so, yeah. So how do you, how do you teach people to, to grow hope in themselves and in those that they're leading? Yeah, so that's a great question. And first, let me tell you, you know, kind of people have a definition of hope. They think it's just being you know, like optimistic. So what I'll just say hope is not, hope is not desire. It's not expectations. It's not positivity. It's not optimism. And the reason is that because it's much bigger than that. 
like if we're talking about the most powerful forces in a human's life, you know, the three biggest, biggest ones are probably hope, love, and faith, right? Uh, but, you know, there's grit, there's courage, there's others, but, but hope is one of the big ones. So it's way bigger than, than, these, than these things we think about. Um, so how do they cultivate hope? That's a great question. I think the, uh, the three things I tell people is they need a story. And story is key to human nature. Like we love going to the movies. We love, you know, telling our kids a bedtime story. Like they just eat it up all the time. We can't get enough stories. But when we look at our own lives and we look at the story of our life, we don't like, we don't see how the plot is developing. And um, we don't take time to, to really see what kind of story we're in. Um, a new book just came out. Uh, uh, Donald Miller uh, wrote a book called Hero on a Mission and uh, Finding a Life of Meaning. And he talks about your story. Like he's the big story brand guy and um, build a, building a story brand. And, um, but he understands story really well. And he, he says, take a look at your life, find out what kind of story you're in. And if you don't like the story, then change it, right? So <laughs> I think helping people get into a story. And th here's the key. If the story is about you, your hope is probably going to go down, believe it or not. Like you think, oh, I'm going to become this great person. I'm going to build myself. I'm going to be awesome. But the more your story is about yourself, probably your hope is going to go down. It's like counterintuitive. Um, so you need to be in a bigger story than you've ever been in before. You know, something that's bigger than you. Um, so everything starts, I think, there. And then your meta narrative. Uh, I mean, that's where religions come in. That's where uh, family traditions come in. That's where, you know, just kind of this, like my genealogy, like who was my family? You know, these, these bigger stories. Um, if you're a citizen of the country, like, are you an American? Like your identity is a huge piece in this story. Uh, so you need to just lock down your story and your identity, who you are as a person. Um, so that's the first thing story. As I say, you, you gotta, you gotta figure that out. Second, you need skills, just like every other kind of skill, leadership skills. You need hope skills. You know, there's coping skills and then there's hoping skills. So I teach, I teach hope skills. Uh, and the third is you need a community. So you need people that, and I did this in my TEDx talk. I talk about different types of communities. You know, there's a commiserating, you know, around, get around to people and let's just vent and bitch and moan and, and talk about how politics, politicians suck. You know, we could do that. Or we get around a community that builds one another up and encourages each other, challenges each other, sharpens each other. We contribute, they find value, I give value. You know, that's a different kind of community. So those three things, I would, this is how I build hope in um, the people I'm around, I think. You alluded to the definition, but I don't know that you actually gave the definition that you use for hope. Uh, could you define it? Yeah, yeah, so hope, it's my definition of hope, um, it's, it's, I thought about it. it, took me about a good few months to think about it. So I, I mean, I just like delve deep. And, uh, you know, I think for some people, it, it's like love. How do you define love? You know, well, I love pizza. I love, I love my mom. I love my dog. Is love the same definition for all those things? No, but we use love interchangeably for those things. So coming up with a definition for hope. I hope for, I hope I win the lottery is way different than I hope that um, the Rams win the Super Bowl and I'm actually a player on the team with skin in the game, right? There's two, way, there's two radically different. One, 
all I did was pay a dollar and hope, hope I win. The other one is I've been sacrificing every day, working out with this team, you know, bleeding and giving everything I got. Um, this is Super Bowl time. Like I am going to give, I'm going to give it all, you know, so there's two different, it's a spectrum, right? There's a spectrum. Um, so the way I define it is, and you, you'd have to read my book to understand really what I, where I'm going with this, but the definition is orientation and action towards the most meaningful future. So orientation is a key word. Action is a, a lot of people think hope is just wishful thinking. You know, they say, Hey, don't, don't hope for anything. Cause that's just, that's just wishful thinking, but they have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to hope. They're just talking about the common vernacular we have for the word hope. Yeah. Most of us use it. Like, I hope I win the lottery. Um, but it's way deeper than that. And people experience it on a way deeper level than that. So it's orientation and action towards the most meaningful future. Um, and it took me a long time to unpack that, but, but it has to do with orientation is going back into that story, going back into um, understanding where you're at in life and where you want to go. Um, so if you're, you know, you're in the Navy, think of it as like navigation, you need to know orientation skills, right? Yeah orienteering before we move forward i uh i will have links to your book in the show notes so while we're on this topic i found myself wondering where am i going to get it so just for the listeners though there will be a link so that you can uh go ahead and buy your copy um because i i'm uh i'm very curious now about well not just the definition but there are there are concepts there that tie directly to to that grit factor when when you're a leader and when you're leading a team and you're you're facing difficult odds or difficult circumstances or you're facing uh, a failure that you just experienced. You know, a, a lot of times people will just throw their hands up and go, okay, well, I guess this isn't for me anymore. But mm. those people that say, no, you know, I, I know that there's more to this. And they, they have that story, like you're saying, they know who they are. Mm -hmm. They know what they're made of. They've been there before. They, they got that, that mindset that this isn't going to keep them down. They know if they keep going, they're going to achieve what they set out to do. And mm -hmm. especially if it's tied to something much bigger than themselves. Um, yeah. So man, I think of, awesome, man. <laughs> I think of uh, the founding fathers, for instance, you know, the, the declaration of independence is beautiful because it talks about clear hope. Hope is defined. It's, we want three things. We want life, we want liberty, and we want the pursuit of happiness. Those are the three things that we want. And um, now is that just wishful thinking? Uh, they, they lay out in there the cost, like of what it's gonna cost to get those three things. And it's beautiful writing because they parallel that with three things that they're gonna have to pay. And they're going to have to pay um, with their lives, 
So we pledge, they say, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. So they're all in. Like there's nothing else to give. We're giving everything to secure life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for every single person that wants to be called an American from now until 2022, you know, and beyond. So they gave it all. And um, that was huge, right? That was hope spelled out for us. And, and that's, I think that's what we see with hope is that hope has to be about shared values, shared struggle or shared pain and shared fortunes, you know, and that's where we get into a lot of problems. I think mostly is the vision of the future is about me getting my fortune, but somehow you didn't get yours. And that's where a lot of people feel left off, left out. And that's where hope tanks. And this is where politicians tank because they, they make tons of promises and someone's fortune is going to be a lot better than others. Right. Uh, so it's hard to get everyone on board. <laughs> so with, uh, with hope, you know, you told me a little bit about your, your other book, hope to die, uh, mm-hmm. that you said that it's, uh, somewhat of a memoir. Can, can you talk a little bit about that and, and how that changed your life? Yeah. So my dad died when he was 40. And so I wrote this, this memoir when I was about 40. And uh, cause I just thought, what if I have what he has? Right. I mean, I went to the doctors, they said that my heart was different, but I just, you know, it was in, it was in, it's in our genes. And uh, so I just kind of was reflecting on death <laughs> quite a bit at that age. Uh, and so I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to dedicate a year to living as if this were my last year. And what would I do? And so the book has really two purposes. One is to help me focus. And then the other is to educate people on what hope is all about and helping them figure out how to live the rest of their lives meaningfully. That's kind of the journey that I took. And I didn't do the things that you would think someone would do if they really knew that they were, this was the last year of their life. Like they would probably just, you know, just go to Hawaii and party for a month. You know, they would do do those kind of things. Um, but, you know, in mine, I said, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to live these crazy things. I'm going to dive into some more meaningful things. And so I spell those out in the book. What are the most meaningful things that we encounter in life? And, um, and one of them was just, I was working at a thrift store, right? I was a place I never wanted to be. Here I find myself in a thrift store. I hate, I hate thrift. Uh, I hate, I just didn't like anything that I was doing in life. Um, and it was just seemed all meaningless to me. And so my, my prayer was, okay, God, help me find the meaningful in the meaningless, because this is a dumb job, but I was there for six years. And, um, (laughs) and the funny thing is, is that that's where I find probably the most meaningful, um, the most meaning in my life. I was with, working with guys coming out of incarceration and a lot of them were struggling with addiction. So this is really the hardest and darkest of times for them. Uh, they're coming out and they're working. I'm working alongside them at the thrift store because this is the, the only job that they can get. Uh, they're in a program for a year. They're learning to get employed, you know, how to build their resume and how to work. You know, one guy showed up and never even pushed a vacuum cleaner before. So it was just some guys were coming from 
the streets some were coming from, you know, just hard, hard families. But anyway, just those friendships were so meaningful to me. So it, it wasn't about the thrift anymore. It was about, it was about people and their journeys and their lives and the struggles. And so, so I got the opportunity to dive into their pain with them. And, you know, I read a story about a woman who came into the store um, and she was like my mom, you know, she just was, looked like she was struggling with anxiety and some sort of mental disorder. And she's just, it was actually a stormy day. Like there was a hurricane. I forget which hurricane it was. I have it in the book, but there was a hurricane and it was like the hurricane blew her into our store and she was going through her own internal hurricane and in her own life. And we just had a chance to sit down and talk about her struggles and her, and I was just was sharing a little few things about hope with her. And she just, those moments she was like, yes, that's what I need. Yes. That's what I want. You know, it's just like, she could, you could tell that hope was, she was just on the edge and she just needed hope. And uh, I just had the opportunity to connect with her and she volunteered. She wanted to volunteer, fill out an application, you know? So that was meaningful to me. And uh, th those kind of stories, just being able to see the little things that became meaningful in a year that was kind of under the microscope. I've taught leadership for, for quite some time now, and all of it has been really in the, in the context of, you know, the, the fire service or law enforcement or um, in the military. <clears throat> you know, I, I did have my own business for a period of time that I was working with friends and my younger brother. Uh, so it was kind of kind of different because these were lifelong relationships. You know, you tend to deal with those individuals in your life a little bit differently. And I, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, that's kind of what I learned about myself. And when my brother passed away, it, it led to a really dark time in my life where I reflected back on that and wish I had done things differently. But when I teach leadership, and, and really when I talk about that experience, it, it helps me relay the importance of, it, it's a, a term I use called selfish altruism. You, you work really, really hard at developing yourself as, as much as possible so that you can add as much value to those people that you're leading because your primary goal is to see them succeed far more than you could ever hope for yourself. If you put it in that context, whether you know it's realistic or not, if you have that mindset that you wanna see them succeed more than you could ever dream of, then you'll work quite a bit harder at, well, developing those relationships with them so that you know what they need, know what their strengths and weaknesses are, what drives them, what their, what their hopes and dreams are, you know? And, uh, and then you can better deliver as a leader. So I, I just, uh, I really, really like this conversation where we're talking about uh, hope. And when you, when you examine your life and identify what those things that you value most are, uh, what a great way to distill it. Um, yeah. I like what you said, Dave, just that 
you know, when your success is linked to their success, that's a, that's a key aspect of hope. You know, when you see that helping them succeed is important, that's like, I think your hope goes up, you know, the meaning goes up. I, I'm, I agree with you. That, that's a great selfish altruism. I like it. <laughs> I want to let you know too, I really, you know, I'm thankful for your service in the military and, um, and uh, really appreciate those that are first responders and all those that are doing um, this kind of work. My, my father-in-law, big mentor of mine, uh, leadership coach, taught me the most about leadership. He did his, uh, he created his own leadership model, um, was a consultant, uh, trained me as a leadership coach. And uh, so I, I dove deep into, into these things. Um, but uh, he was, he was in the air force for eight years and a, a recruiter. Um, and I met my, my wife because he happened to be in the same town as me. Um, but his two sons, both in the military, uh, both in the air force, uh, his, his, uh, adopted daughter from, from Latvia. Um, she went into the coast guard where my daughter also went into the coast guard. Um, my son, my adopted son, not the one from Afghanistan, the other one, he went into the Marines. He just got out of the Marines. Um, and, uh, my wife's grandfather, he was in the Navy in World War II, uh, right, at, right on um, throwing lobbing, lobbing shells uh, at, um, on, uh, what was it, Iwo Jima. Uh, well, he was cooking up the food while they, were, while they were doing all the battles, you know, in there. So he was, he was in the Navy, just a lot of military history in our family. And um, so uh, really respect, you know, the military. A lot of, a lot of, hope, a lot of hope needed, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I just recently interviewed this woman, um, and uh, for the listeners, if if this sparks your curiosity, if you haven't listened to this interview uh, already, uh, Laquita Munley, she uh, is married to um, an army uh, an army guy who's uh, in first first cavalry. Um, he did 24 years. He enlisted in, uh, in the 90s and served Bosnia. Um, you know, it was after the, the first war in Iraq, um, but he served in Iraq and in Afghanistan, uh, Turkey, uh, Bosnia. The guy seen a lot. What's interesting about this conversation that I had with her is, you know, he, he was a career army guy, career enlisted, eventually becoming, you know, top of the non-commissioned officers, you know, he's in charge of uh, quite a, quite a few people. And when he was overseas deployed, uh, she was really the leader of the spouses of the people he was deployed with. And this, this hope, this uh, message of hope and dealing in hope, I would imagine that she's really good at it. You know, when, you're, when your spouse is in a combat zone and you know, communication isn't always possible. And 
you know, you're hearing things through the media and there's, there's a lot of fear involved. Like, first, there's just like this whole area of maintaining the home and the children and the relationship while your, your loved one is facing an enemy that spends every day, all day trying to kill you. And having that knowledge and being able to do nothing about it, you make the best of what you can do. And being able to teach the younger spouses how to manage day-to-day -day life and manage your emotions and, and really continue on. And in the face of that kind of, I mean, if you allowed it to be a negative experience, it would be, but to shape it into something positive and, and know that what you're doing matters in, in the big picture, you know? Yeah, that is huge. I, they're hope dealers, right? They're the moms and the, that's that, uh, or the spouses that stay, that stay and, and hold down the fort and raise the kids and do the laundry um, while someone's off to war. I mean, they, hopefully they don't underappreciate their role you know, that they have. I mean, I, I just watched another war movie recently and the, the crucial phone call back home to keep the morale up, you know, uh, of the, <laughs> the soldier is, is so vital. Right, writing the letters during wartime is, is key to their being able to keep going, you know? So that, they are hope dealers. And, and, and the reason, part of the power is, one of the things that hope does is like an anchor and it just keeps you tethered it keeps you tethered to what is what is important. And so that phone call, those letters are the tether that reminds you of a life that um, what you're fighting for, it reminds you of, of who loves you, what's real, what's real, reality, you know? I don't know if you ever saw the TV show Lost, but there's a great episode on, on Hope um, where the guy, it, the girl is the, is, the, is the tether for him. Like she keeps him knowing what reality is because he is so confused. And, um, and she is his anchor. Uh, so that's a, they are huge hope dealers. Uh, absolutely. And way to go, way to go mom or way to go spouse who's staying behind, you know? <laughs> um, I told my daughter that she just got married. They're in the Coast Guard, they're separated. So she's in uh, Long Island and he's in uh, Seattle. He was, yeah, so they're far apart and they just got married, but the military hasn't joined them together yet. Um, the orders haven't come through to make that happen. Hopefully that'll happen in a couple months here, but. But I said, my advice to them when I married them, I was like, you should write letters to each other. Like I know email, I know texting, I know you can do a video, but, but trust me, write a letter out and it'll, it'll really um, be meaningful. I have a whole shoebox of letters that my wife wrote me when she was living over in uh, Latvia and we were, we were dating at the time and a whole, like, you know, maybe a hundred, 200 letters um, that kept our love alive. There's a lot, I was in college. There's a lot of girls walking by that look pretty and I used to have hair and I looked good. Uh, you know, so I mean, <laughs> at any moment I could have been snagged up, but those letters and she would put perfume on them and man, I would just sit down and be in another world, right? I would be in her world. Um, so that tethered me to the hope of our love that one day we would be united. One day, we would get to get married, um, and uh, it was worth waiting for. <laughs> it was worth waiting for. So, one of the things that you were talking about there, the uh, 
you know, your story and knowing who you are, knowing what you value, knowing what you stand for, what your identity is, it is so difficult for so many, especially, and I'm, I'm going to speak from experience right now. When I left the fire department, I'd spent 20 plus years referring to myself as a firefighter. That was my identity. I, you know, on my days off, I trained. I, I would either train myself or I was training others. I studied leadership and, and uh, firefighting, whether it be technical rescue or just fire dynamics, incident command, that sort of thing. That's what I, that was my life. And it took me a while after I left the fire service to really figure out who I was. Um, because that, you know, I was no longer Keith Hollenbach. I was just Dave. <laughs> that was, that was how I felt, you know, and, uh, now I'm, I'm very clear on who I am. Uh, there was an exercise that I did with my daughter and, and part of really figuring out who you are is figuring out what your values are and what mm. you stand for and, um, and what your purpose is. And uh, a big, big hint about purpose is if you, and, and you, Anybody can do this. If you go back and, and read historical documents or, or philosophy, world religions, there's a common thread throughout where you know, these, these ancient thinkers identified that we are all connected mm -hmm. and we're here for one another. Um, you know, and, and that's why it feels so good to do right by other people that are close to us. To, to add value to them because that is fulfilling our purpose and and however you um live that however you express that in your day-to-day -day activities that's more specific to you but it still is adding value to others or or you know action towards adding value to the world around you when you're helping other people uh, identify or build their story or, or identify what their story is, how do you coach them through that process? Because typically when people are seeking hope or seeking answers, or they're at a loss. For, if you were to ask them, who are you? They, they probably wouldn't come back with much more than their name. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Yeah, that is a great question. And um, I love diving into identity because uh, like I put in the book, it took me so long to figure out who I was. You know, I, did, I think men don't figure out who we are until we're in our late thirties, <laughs> we just don't know. Uh, and so uh, the way I do it is the, it's in the book as well, Hope to Die is, is talk about character. So character, this is a great word. So character really has three layers. You know, there's the character, which is actually in language, it's like a, it's a mark. So a character is a letter, 
right? Second layer, uh, character is like virtues, you know? What's his character like? You know, what is he, what values does he have? The third layer is a character in a story. You know, who are they? Are they the villain? Are they the, the hero? Are they kind of, you know, just a bystander? Like who, who are they the class clown? You know, like who are they? Uh, so I dive deep into those. So for instance, in, in your life, you know, character, uh, like a marking, you know, you wear a hat. You're known as, like, as a guy who wears uh, a fireman's hat. You know, that's a marking of you. If I see you probably more often in the week, you might be wearing that hat or you wear hats. Uh, tattoos. Tattoos are great markings for a lot of people. You know, it's huge. Of this, this is this is identifies who I am, and this is a marking in my life. Wedding ring, wedding ring is another marking. It shows people that I'm married. Um, you know, it could be anything. Little things, big things that are marking. And then character values. It's like likes and dislikes. Uh, personality. There's a million personality. You know, assessments you can take. Myers-Briggs, DISC, you know, all those. It's just kind of your what you like, don't like, what you do in a certain situation, what you don't do. And then there's that, that deep layer of, am I the, like, savior, like a fireman? Am I a savior? Um, am I a, um, a warrior? Am I a soccer mom? Am I, you know, the, a nurse? Do I, you know, take care of sick people? Um, am I a healer? Am I, uh, you know, those, those kind of deep layer things. And uh, Tony Campolo said, you know, to find out your identity, you are what you're committed to. So you could be a father, but that doesn't make you a dad, right? Anybody can father, well, any guy can father a child practically, but are you a dad? Did you raise that kid? You know, that's different. So who you are is based on your commitments, you know? Um, so th that's how I walk someone through the identity piece. Like you were talking about, you know, you are a fireman. Um, if there was a fire, you would probably still figure out a way to help someone get out of it. <laughs> you, you, you are still a fireman, even though you might not go to the firehouse every day. Um, that's kind of how I think about it. But it took me a long time to get those, those names into my mind of who I was and who I am. Yeah. So a lot of people put them on their Twitter handle, you know, or their Facebook profile or whatever, you know, I'm a dad, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm entrepreneur, I'm a, you know, those kind of things. But do you, do you have a process that you walk somebody through to help them kind of identify who they are? Um, or is it, or is that your, your process? You walk them through the, the three characters. Yeah, I would definitely do the three characters with them to get the identity piece down. Um, and then I would look at their story and see, I would look at their past, like, because there's labels that have been thrown on you that you've accepted, um, you know, like, and that's why it, it, it's hard to, we're still struggling and wrestling with what we've been described as by our friends or like, he's the bozo. Like, he's the one that always gets drunk at the party. You know what I mean? Like, you're known for certain things in the past and you're like, well, is that still my story? Is that who I still I am? Do I still have to perform and be that person or can I be someone different? Um, so dealing with the scripts that were, we've, we've accepted from our past and our childhood. So dealing with those on a deeper level. And then let's talk about your future self. What if your future, you met your future self? What would they tell you? 
you know, um, and have that conversation with your future self. <laughs> I find that, I find that fun because who I want to be in the future, um, is, is important. You know, they talk about hope as only future oriented, you know, it's only thinking about the future, but the, the thing about hope is that it's actually connected to the past, the present and the future. If you can't draw a line through all three, you're not going to find meaning. You know, you can't just be future oriented. That's kind of my beef with the, the hope assessments that you can do today. It's all future focused. It's all goal setting, but it doesn't look at uh, your present and your past, which are, are key to understanding, remembering memory. Memory is huge for, because like, let's say something happened to you. Let's say you got fired, you know, in the moment, that's a defining moment and it could be very painful. Um, you could feel like you were missed, overlooked, undervalued. Um, you could get really bitter. And then um, five years from now, you could say that was the best experience of my life. I, I, I'm so glad I got fired because if I hadn't got fired, then I never would have done X, Y, Z. So we need to look back. This is the orientation part is looking back and interpreting the events in my life that have happened to me and why they happened. And can I find the good out of them or can I only find the bad, you know? So um, that's kind of important too in our, in our identity because we might've become the villain because we believe the things that someone told me about myself as a young person. And uh, we didn't look back and see the good and therefore like, whoa, I could have become the hero, right? Um, the hero and the villain are not that different. They just kind of, they took a wrong turn somewhere uh, and, they, and it, then it just started going really bad. Like right now in your life, what are you most passionate about? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, we all do a lot of stuff, right? And then like, what are you most passionate about? Yeah. Um, I'd like to give pause. I mean, I feel like I know the answer in some ways, but I feel like I'm always trying to answer that question. Um, so I don't, I don't like have it locked down, but I do feel like um, there's two things that come to mind. One is the ancient word um, discipleship. In fact, I got a tattoo on my arm here. One is for the uh, thrift store that I worked at. It's a, it's their banner. So I say I got my stripes um, because I did six years in that basement. Um, but I got my stripes, but below that is the Greek word um, that's disciple or make disciples. And discipleship really means, uh, or disciple really means learner. So someone who's learning. So I'm all about helping people take next steps in life so they get unstuck, you know, whatever their next step is. Uh, and I don't want to tell them what their next step is. I just want to help them take it because I believe that it'll unlock great things for them when they take that next step. So that's one big, big area of my life. And the other big thing is um, make hope tangible. That's my mission statement in life, make or tagline make hope tangible because hope is so elusive. Nobody knows what it is. So how do I make it so people understand it and they can see it? Um, so I do a lot of projects, books, videos, talks, whatever I can to make it understandable, tangible. Um, so I'm passionate about that. And um, so I'm passionate about my business because my business helps people take next steps. Uh, and then I'm passionate about my nonprofit 
because I'm in the trenches of life with people that are going through the hardest and darkest of times. And um, we are looking for radical hope. We are, we are looking for ways out of this suffering and struggle and breaking cycles, cycles that destroy families, uh, communities. So I love that. So I, I'm like in a sweet spot in my life right now. Like I, I've been through a lot of pain, a lot of struggle, a lot of failure, like a lot of failure. Um, but right now I feel like I'm getting into the sweet spot of my life and um, I'm excited about it. Can you talk a little bit about your nonprofit? What is the, uh, the primary goal or mission of your nonprofit? Yeah. So I'm like three weeks on the job. Um, and so we're defining our mission statement right now. And, um, and so it basically before I came on board and this is, this is pretty true to what we're doing, we're going to do in the future is we're about, um, relief, renewal, and re uh, sorry, relief, re restoration and renewal. So those three R's are really important. So relief is like, if you're in suffering, we want to like meet you where you're at right now, help you get some relief, you know, re restoration is let's say you've been struggling with addiction. We want to help provide a pathway for you to, you know, overcome that addiction. So we have like Celebrate Recovery, which is a um, helping people struggling with addiction. Uh, relief is a food pantry, clothing pantry, uh, care fund, money to help you if you have like a, you're about to get evicted, that kind of thing. And then the the third one is um, renewal. So we believe that you know these are these problems that people have are have some kind of roots, you know, let's, let's get to the bottom of this. What is the, what is the source of your problems that keep on popping up? Let's look into your life. So we have counseling. Um, we have um, church partners that, that come along and, and build community. So sometimes people are just lonely and they just need community. Um, and they maybe have a faith, but they, it's, it's kind of like lost. So they, they want to, they, they need, that'll help them in their life or, or maybe it's understanding finances and you need a course in that, or maybe they need a job and they just need help getting a job, you know, so just kind of the root things in life. So that, that's the, I would say our mission statement, if I could be so bold is just to uh, increase hope to overcome troubles and trauma, you know, just to say, that's, that's what we want to do, you know, and we're going to meet you with radical hope in the hardest and darkest of times. And they've been doing it for quite a few years now. And I'm just, uh, I'll be their first executive director to take us to the next step. I can't reveal that yet because it hasn't been approved by the board, but uh, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting to the, to some bigger and bigger things, not better, but bigger. And that leads me to my next question here. Uh, something that you said, you, you mentioned your failures, a lot of failures. And I, I found in my life that that's where I've found the most opportunity, the biggest mm -hmm. lessons. And I'm wondering if you'd feel comfortable enough sharing one of your big opportunities that that came from, you know, maybe a dark time in your life. Yeah, sure. So there's, there's a few to choose from. Um, I think one that um, I can highlight here is uh, I would say, I don't know if you heard of the, I think it's called, I can't remember the name of the book. It's a leadership book. Um, maybe it's leadership timeline, but he talks about the leadership crisis. So every leader goes through a crisis 
And uh, this was probably my crisis because I was on top of the world in a way. I was ambitious. I was, I like felt like I had the plan. Like it seemed like things were coming together. We had just raised $70,000 um, to, to, to accomplish a mission. Uh, we went, my wife and I and daughter went to, um, to Ecuador. We were going to do some work there. We were going to go into Cuba. We were going to go into um, different places and just work with uh, young people and um, work with nonprofits and that kind of thing. And I get down there and then it was the perfect storm. Like everything went wrong uh, and um, people went different directions and we became disoriented. Talk about needing hope, orientation, you know, you need to be oriented. I was totally disoriented, didn't know what to do. And, um, and then I just started making bad decisions, uh, namely going Ronin. And I think a lot of leaders do this. We go Ronin, we go, you know, a Ronin is, is, a, is a samurai without a Lord, right? And we just, we just think we can do it without serving a Lord and um, serving someone, you know, just being accountable without, without having a bigger cause than ourselves. So I thought I was the man. I thought the world revolved around me. <laughs> uh, you know, it was, I was going to be done my way. And I just started to run into some conflicts with other leaders and, um, and they weren't getting resolved well because I didn't have humility and I didn't have um, the bigger picture. And I didn't ask questions. I wasn't curious. I didn't ask questions to find out what the bigger picture was. I just thought what I got going on is the most important thing. Help me figure it out. Um, so I ended up, uh, you know, it was kind of a train wreck. We ended up, um, we thought we were going to be living in Latin America our whole lives. And we came back in less than two years uh, and with my tail between my legs and no, nothing really to show for it, it seemed. Um, so <laughs> the, probably the, the greatest lessons, right, were in that crisis. I learned humility. Well, kind of. I learned that I should be humble. <laughs> it wasn't until the thrift store years, six years in the thrift store, that I learned humility. Um, and, and I learned it from a woman who could outpace me. Like she was so and a worker, like she taught me work ethic. Like I didn't, I never even understood, like she was amazing. So I learned it from a woman and I learned uh, great humility. And, um, but so, yeah, that was the biggest lesson out of, out of, uh, that came later, but that I needed to learn. And then second was, I was able to plant a couple seeds in, um, Senegal, Africa. And I have a video on, on uh, YouTube you can watch called A Tree a tree in Africa. If you do A Tree in Africa, Rob Maddox, the algorithms buried it so much, but uh, you can probably still find it. It's got about 10,000 views. But we sowed a few seeds in the Senegal of a leader. We invested in a leader by creating a, like a documentary. And this documentary went wild for him uh, to establish a, a work that he's doing there. He's working with boys that are more or less homeless and on the streets begging for food. And somehow you turn that into a thriving community with living quarters, with schools, with uh, helping women do business, um, education. Like it was just like total radical, like paradise, like a, like what do you call it? A, uh, in the an oasis in the desert. And um, so I'm thankful that I got to invest in this leader's life and see this incredible thing that happened in this country. 
And that's what dealers um, in hope, I have a story about that in, in there of, of the transformation uh, shaping culture. So, so yeah, that's my biggest failure. I was a train wreck, <laughs> but there's redemption. Thank you very much for, for sharing that. And I, I'm wondering if you could talk briefly about uh, what you view as your biggest success. Hmm. That's a great defining success, man. That's been a hard one throughout my whole life. Um, but uh, well, maybe put it this way. What are you yeah. most proud of? I think my biggest success is my family. You know, uh, my wife and I married 26 years this past year celebrating um, in Puerto Rico um, for five days. Uh, and, you know, our two daughters, biological daughters, two adopted sons. Um, the picture's messy right now. Like if you were to look at a photo of us, there's a lot of wrinkles in that photo. There's some rips. There's some, even maybe, you know, some sometimes when those kids didn't want to be in the family, like they wanted to be out and uh, a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, you know, so that photo is pretty, pretty rough looking. Um, but there is, I think my wife and I keep the photo on our, on our, on our, um, as you walk in is of all of us together. We had one Christmas where we were all together and, uh, it was just beautiful. It was just good to be together and feel like we loved each other um, for a few moments. <laughs> uh, so it's not as successful as I want it to be, but I feel like my wife and I are the constant in their chaos. And um, so her and I are, we are a dynamic duo. We are a force to be reckoned with. Uh, <laughs> when we're together, we are close to unstoppable. She's a nurse has been for most of her life. She is an amazing woman um, who's kept me together, uh, but also kept our, our family together. So that, that's that got to be, you know, without a doubt. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you feel is is important to, to leave the viewers with or the listeners either yeah. way? <laughs> yeah, I would, there's a one-liner that I want to leave people with. A one-liner is not your tagline, but it's kind of diving into the deep pain and problems of the world and then the solution and how, how this is actually going to make thing, everything better. So I like to quote uh, Thoreau. Um, and he said that most people lead lives of quiet desperation and they go to the grave with the song still in them. And so I found that my job is to make sure people don't die like that. I want to help people get their song, their message out to the world. Maybe that's just to their family. Maybe it's just to themselves. They need a message that's really strong. Maybe it's marketing, you know, as I have a marketing business. So maybe it's getting it out to an audience. Um, you know, so that's, that's my passion is to help people figure out the words that they can meditate on that'll make them stronger um, the song that's in them, get that out. Cause it's so hard to get that message out just out of your heart. Now you, you know, that song to be sung. It's so it's trapped in there. So that's my thing. And then the invitation is come go to my website, 
It's a foresightmarketingguide.com slash hope dealer. And on there, you can find a way to get my book um, and then also find out what I'm doing in terms of uh, my marketing. Um, and then pointcarecenter.com is the, is the nonprofit. So Point Care Center. So that's, yeah. So if anyone wants help with those kind of things, I am here to work with them. And I appreciate you, Dave. Appreciate your your passion for leading people. I, I feel like doing this podcast has really helped me meet a lot of incredible people that I otherwise would have never met and mm. and allow the audience to meet them as well. Um, because there's a lot of there's a lot of hope out there. Yeah. Um, a lot of cool stories and i'm glad you're bringing them to light so no i really appreciate you you taking the time to talk with me today and uh, i will have the links to your website and links to your book uh in the show notes and uh if you don't mind sending me the link to the uh hope assessment i'll put that in sure. there as well so, uh yeah. that would be great absolutely and to all your listeners, keep listening to Dave. He sounds like a great place to be. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.